Welcome to McKinsey's Digital Dinner Podcast, hashtag digital dinner. This is our series that brings together different voices from Silicon Valley to explore interesting issues emerging in today's digital world. So welcome everybody. I'm Brian Gregg. I'm a partner in McKinsey's San Francisco office where I lead our consumer digital practice. And I'm joined by four voices from the Valley tonight. Mahin, why don't we start with you? My name is Mahin. I lead our digital experience design service line out here on the West Coast. All right. Diane. My name is Diane Esber. I'm a leader in our digital practice in McKinsey's San Francisco office. Excellent. Michael, over to you. Hi, my name is Michael Jones. Um, I'm currently uh, the um, Senior Vice President of Retail and Brand Solutions at Retail Me Not. Excellent. Thanks for being with us. And Mark, over to you. Hi, good evening. I spent the last four or five years really specializing on mobile. So particularly Candy Crush, then Beats Music, um, getting that set up and launched and sold off to Apple. Uh, and then most recently, Hotel Tonight as well. Very good. I think we've got a good mix here. And then Diane and I are going to try and spice it up with what we're seeing across the retail landscape. All right. So guys, as, as one of our first questions tonight, we're here to talk about mobile. And if you, just a few facts for you. Fact one, it took radio 38 years to reach 50 million people in terms of audience. It took TV 13 years to hit that same timeline. It took Twitter nine months. It took Google Plus 88 days. In that world, we're here to talk about mobile. Is mobile really about the phone? If I play this forward three years, are we sitting here talking about mobile as a phone or a device? Or are we talking about something else? Mahan, you're the consumer ethnographer here. What's, what's mobile in three years? It, it's about the transformation of every single experience and really every industry. Uh, and it comes down to, and I'll paraphrase Mary Meeker, it comes down to this it's beauty, connectivity, mobility. And it's going to surround us. And it's going to change the way we do everything both in the B2C context, but also in B2B. It's gonna change the way you work, and it's gonna change the way you interact with your own colleagues. It's also gonna change the way you shop, set the temperature at your house. And really, that's the promise of mobile. And so I think about it, you know, the next step a lot of people talk about is mobility, but that's not even aggressive enough. It's just, it's constant connectivity. What does that mean? because it's going to be ubiquitous and surround you. So Michael, put Mahin's vision in a commerce context. Is retail me not? You must be thinking about commerce all the time. You know, I, I, think, I think in a few years, um, the, the things that you'll think about is, number one, to your point, it may not be the phone, right? It's, it could be another device. And so I don't know what the next you know, device you know, thing will be. What I do know is this, the always on constant yeah, I don't think that will change very much. And so anything that can help with overall productivity at work, uh, make people more productive, make people like my wife who is incredibly busy with three boys all the time, that's gonna be the key. Like what can help them be more productive? All right. So we all know that mobile is overtaking PC for usage. We all know all the headlines around mobile being the remote control to life. I'm interested from a design perspective and from a new news perspective, Mahan, what is the future of mobile when it comes to consumer usage? Right. So the future of mobile when it comes to consumer usage is really how do we hit the moving target? How do we understand our users' expectations? Because suddenly the expectations are being set by an Uber. They're being set by what Amazon's doing in mobile. And if you don't achieve that bar, if you don't hit it, you're done, right? And I know, Mark, you like to talk about people moving towards that transaction and making a decision really quickly. People talk about curation, they talk about personalization, there's all the buzzwords everyone throws out. If you don't understand context, it doesn't go anywhere. 
And Mark, how did you do that at Candy Crush? So you were diving into how are people using this and therefore how can I make sure I'm there at the right time? How do you understand people on mobile? I think there's, there's a lot of ways in which people are doing it and there's ways in which I think people can do it and the potential hasn't really been maximized yet. What we were great at is actually understanding that there's a story behind, there's a journey we were taking people on. And we knew and we had a really good understanding of actually how to construct the journey. So like the, the product guys got this as much, frankly, as the BI guys, as much as the finance guys and marketing guys. The product guys did this incredible job of actually really storytelling the whole thing. But you analytically mapped out the customer we, journey. We mapped it. And it was incredibly precise. Whereas say at Beats, for example, is actually much more a blend of left, left brain and right brain. So you know, you've got a very creative industry. Beats, Jimmy Iovine and those guys are very creative people. Um, so when you start coming in and talking hardcore data all the time, it doesn't always sink in. So what you're trying to do is trying to blend those two worlds together. And actually, I mean, interestingly, that really hard job in music is how do you tell somebody, not what they're listening to now, but what's your next song going to be? And that's actually where mobile is actually really, really powerful because you can work out if somebody's moving, you can work out things like time of day. So we did a lot of pre-curation based on IP, geo, time of day, device, you know, operating system, yada, yada, yada. We did all that stuff before you even came into service. I love it. It's the combination of EQ and IQ. Absolutely. So you, it's funny, as we actually, especially during the holidays, you see the times where people are at work, right? That's where you see most of the desktop and e-commerce shopping versus on the weekends or maybe for those fathers and husbands that might be late shoppers, you see them start to do more in-store as you get closer to the actual holiday actually sort of arriving as well. The other part that's interesting is you start to see that they actually plan their shopping earlier. So we can see based on if they're outside of a geofence, meaning they're not inside the store, they're not inside a mall, they're actually outside of that. They're, they're at their home, they're somewhere else. They're actually looking to see where they want to go shop. And then we can see when they actually enter into the geofence and actually start to use and start to shop as well, which is good for our partners to be able to see the behaviors of consumers Just, as well. just to build on that, um, we actually often design, design for commute because right. we yeah. see a different type of behavior and an uptick during commute both on the mobile device, but also using voice. So there's a, there's, there's a voice element that comes into it from right. someone that's driving. That makes me happy to hear, because whenever I see the commute hours, it makes me nervous. Right. right. We had this concept we talked about all the time, which was snacking. And essentially what that meant was, you're standing in line at Starbucks, you're standing in line wherever to get food, and the faster you can kind of scroll through and see personalized commerce for yourself, and the easier it is to buy, then whether it's at eBay or whether it's at an Amazon, you know, the easier it is to buy, the more you would see the frequent that's what, purchasing. That's what we had at King with Candy Crush. Like one of the ways we talked about Candy Crush was snackable. It's snackable moments. So literally, when yeah. you get 90 seconds, that's and particularly when we had a big female demographic as well. It was like I put the kids to bed. I've got 90 seconds before I have to walk back into the lounge and go and see my husband and talk to him or make some food. I've got 90 seconds to myself, and that snackable moment. For a lot of these companies, it's really about reframing the question and rethinking about what business they're really in. So going back years and years, you would have thought Amazon, they're in the business of, of shipping books, right? But as they've progressed through time, what you really see is what they're in the, they were in the business of reimagining the way that people consume words and the way that they read. Because suddenly, instead of ordering a book and getting it, it's delivered to you on a device. And so it's almost books as a service. Yeah. 
really reimagined. And they've, they've redefined their entire category by doing that. They've really reimagined that whole journey. What's funny is that you look at their retail business, you could argue if you look at the last you know, 15 years-ish they've been around, they've actually built a um, web service business, a fulfillment business, a delivery business, a customer service business, all on sort of an almost like a retail experiment in a weird way where they kind of did this, well, we've got all these things, we have to ship them, we know we've got to make it on time, we know we've got to make a profit, you know, how do we do this the best way? And then they slowly rolled it out to you know, third-party merchants to leverage you know, their platform and everything they have. And it's really interesting because they've built everything you need to be successful in today's world, and now they're starting to let others leverage. And as a result, their overall margin goes up, but they started with the customer first, always. They've always thought that way. McKinsey's projected out to 2020, about 80% of transactions will still occur in a physical location in the US. But at the same time, you're likely to see 80 to 90% of those transactions to be, have been researched prior to entering the store. Where does mobile fit into that? People have always looked at lots of other alternative sources to do research. It's just that it's become more ubiquitous and easier to do. What's changed though, I think, you know, MJ, to your point, is that when you've got now got somebody who, it's the weekend, I'm gonna go shopping, I'm doing something. You've actually now got an emotional angle to it and you've got an ability to make people behave in spontaneous ways. And I think that suddenly starts to become really, really powerful. And just to build on that, I would say it's, you know, a lot of people talk about seamless. And I think it's more about uh, elegant seams. So the, so the user, the customer, understands where one channel ends and the other begins. You don't design and focus on apps, it's a service, right? It's what, what is your digital service which encompasses kind of everything along that? Because if you only focus on the app, just like you're saying, you will likely fall short. But if you start out holistically, you're being thoughtful about all your touch points. I think there's a really interesting area where this is going to as well, which is, and I think there's a bigger issue that comes out of it. One of the examples of the human thing here, why people aren't, are still going and buying in stores, is people, is mobile is very focused on trying to get conversion. And actually one of the challenges on, on that is the fact, and it, and it doesn't convert as well as web or anything else. One of the challenges, people are ultimately commitment phobes until actually they've had some sort of experience. Now, is mobile actually up to creating that experience that's gonna create conversion? This week I was at uh, Eto West in Palm Springs and the CMO of your old stomping grounds was there and he walked through a journey of his son. And what he showed was his son went to a store where he could actually go in and make his own shoe. And what's funny is he went into the store, he made the shoe, and then he immediately took a photo of it and then posted it on Instagram. And his dad's like, I'm, I'm happy to you know, get you the shoe, but he didn't want to buy it then. You know why he didn't want to buy it? Because he wanted to see the number of likes and comments he would get from all of his friends. People would give him suggestions on better colors, potentially. So then what happened was he actually went out, bought the shoes. What do you think he then did? He posted those up on Instagram, right? Then all of his friends started asking, where'd you buy them, what happened? And so in a, in a weird way, commerce did happen. It didn't happen kind of the way we would think about it, like a quick Amazon type purchase, but he said it's not just for shoes like that, it's for everything he does. And I would say there's a, there's a spectrum of philosophy, so do you want to really roll the dice and say we want the ecosystem and I want to be visionary and we're going to think this could take 36 months to sort out. That's maybe the Under Armour picture, right? And saying, yeah, we're going to go for that. 
And if it doesn't work out, that's going to be a significant problem for them, all right? Or if you kind of go on the other end of the spectrum and say, we're just going to be focused on what's going to move the needle because I'm worried about the short term. We're worried about our investors. Maybe we're worried about getting bought out or something like that. And that's what we're going to focus on. So when you're talking innovation with clients and, and you know, trying to understand actually what's going to get them to do that extra step, what, what's making them actually take that leap? Because certain companies like Amazon are just making those, that's part of their culture. A lot of companies, it seems, don't have that culture to actually be risk takers in that sense. And this innovation stuff is a risk, isn't it? Someone asked this exact question um, at a Women's Wear Daily event, the CEO of um, uh, Matt My Run. They basically said the same thing, which is if you're in between or if you don't have a billion dollars to go spend, you know, how, do you, how do you get into this game? And he's like, I'd like to remind everyone that when we started our company, we had seven people, me and six developers. That's what it takes. Everyone thinks that you have to have a lot of money and you gotta go do this big thing, but in many cases, like a good focused area with good people thinking about what needs to be done, you can get a lot done. And a user orientation. Exactly. They, they were thinking 110% about what their customers want. Exactly. I, I really think it's about connecting a, a, a user need to a, to a business driver, and I'll use a very analog example. So for about a thousand years, anyone in the toothbrush industry couldn't figure out how do we tell someone they need to get a new toothbrush? How do we get that data, right? And what they did, Oral-B, in the 80s, they created the indicator bristle, which was based on the data that you use from brushing your teeth, and suddenly it told you you needed a new toothbrush, and they really they changed the industry. And it was good for them, it was good for customers. And so that's when anyone talks about data and like, how do we use it? I'm like, well, what's your indicator bristle? You figure that out, you're onto something. That's clever, that's smart, that's really smart. It's just so interesting to me that Everyone talks about data collection and how you use it, but you can see when companies really nail it, how great it is from an experience perspective for the, for the consumer, it's amazing. When I was at Beats, and we all used to talk about personalization all the time and curation and everything else, and it's, and it's buzzwords, let's be honest. Most people aren't really doing it. And yeah, there was one time when I was late, I used to live down in LA and I had to get to the airport. I left myself 20 minutes, it normally took 40. <laughs> I get in the car, I'm like, I'm in so much trouble, I'm missing this flight, it's all over. Get in the car, I don't even look at the, the phone, I just hit play and drive. The first song that comes on is James Bond theme tune. Now, I'm a Brit, I'm like, this is awesome. I am suddenly breaking every speed limit going. The next, the next song that comes on, Mission Impossible. I'm like, wow, that's it. I get to the airport, I make my flight. It's like, if I hadn't had that musical experience at my mobile, I'd never have made it. It's amazing. And that's when I suddenly genuinely thought, if we could actually really crack this properly, it's incredibly powerful, because you can genuinely create experiences that do change people's lives. All right, so here's a good one. How real, for most companies out there, for the existing legacy organizations that are trying to survive against the Amazons and the, some of the Silicon Valley startups, what's the probably, what's the reality that mobile can actually be a way out to actually thrive and survive? I think the point is, is that there isn't really any one model anymore. And well, even if there was one model, it's going to change. So I was talking to somebody the other day, and there was a European retailer that came over the Silicon Valley to come and try and find out, okay, so what's my business model going to be for the next 100 years? Because I've had one business model for 100 years. Surely the next one will be 100 years long as well. It was a slightly confused yeah. moment. Is, when we things had... are going to change more in the next 10 than they have yeah. in the last 100. It is going to come down to these, these design skills, and it is going to come down to actually people being able to be brave and take risks. 
Um, experiments. Experiments. But I think one, one point, particularly on mobile here, is I don't think it's going to be a mobile solution. I think it's actually, you, know, you mentioned customer-centric earlier. It's almost we need to stop thinking about channels and start thinking about people. My big worry is that the companies that typically fail worry so much about the attribution and they think a lot about it and then they want to debate what they agreed before would be what they had. They don't move versus their other companies. And I actually know the retailer who I think put it very well, which is I can do an attribution study until I'm blue in the face and somehow it's going to always point to some winners in here, right? I'm going to agree to what it needs to look like. We're going to measure it off of that. We're going to keep repeating it, but we have to move. Like we have to keep moving to keep the business going. Again, just like uh, keep beating the drum, you've got to think about what the customer expects. Exactly. What is exactly. your user expectation, and why don't you build the attribution model off of that? Exactly. Right? The very definition of mobile device is changing, and it's really becoming about mobility, and it's going to always be surrounding us, and it's this intelligence that's going to be around us everywhere we go. And suddenly, that really changes the game. And so if, if, I think if an organization is truly thinking long range, long term, they're starting to prototype things that are around virtual reality, AI, voice. And I think for mobile, you need intuition. I think that's part of the problem. I think that's where AI is really going to change it. Because then it's like, then it's a service to me. And I think the stepping stone to AI is chat. So I could be wrong here, but I think it's messaging and chat, particularly in the millennials, the millennial demographics, they're gonna start with chat, chat goes to voice, voice goes to AI. Whenever I meet with retailers and we talk about, you know, what is, you know, what does the future look like, or the things you should think about, I always tell them, think about the, think about the apps as you as a consumer that you actually use, that you really enjoy. And what, you know, what are those things that you think your own consumers would enjoy that you need to, that you need to do to kind of, you know, to bring to them, right, for success. And sometimes they're, they're, they're really little things, right? So one of the beauties of way back in the day when I, you know, as, as iTunes got started, was the, the, the simple concept of you get a gift card, a physical gift card, and you just scan it with your photo and boom, it's automatically in your iTunes account. Bridging that physical digital, it's a real world physical experience that's enabled by some a layer of digital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All consumers are now judging all the other apps by the standard of Uber. And I think that's where we've moved, we've all, the users moved beyond categories. It's shifted, it's shifted their expectations for what everything should be like. Your point is so good. I was with dinner with a bunch of friends. We got in a heated debate about this point. And here's what it was. We were done eating. There's 20 of us, so 10 couples. And if you've ever been in that experience, it's hard to just get everyone at one time to get up and leave, let alone to get like the checks, right? Why can't you just get up and walk out? You order. You're done. You, you've already got your. You know. You've already got what you're going to tip and everything. It's in, and you, you get up and walk out. And by the way, the, the server is waiting for you to leave too. Just on the same page, so they can flip that table. Why can't this just be the and same way? I think way? that's Open Table's aspiration. My wife and I got to the point where we didn't want to call. What I just want to see you available for two at seven o'clock? Yes or no? Right. The minute that became so convenient, I became incredibly annoyed that a restaurant that I liked didn't have Open Table. But the really interesting point now is that it's changed the timescale of innovation. So what was five years or ten years out in the past, now actually it's happening across categories. So it's now it's like, we're talking, we're talking innovation. I always think personally we're like six to 18 months. That's it. I want to thank you all again for joining me for a great, great discussion this evening. I've really enjoyed hearing about your views. And for our listeners, please tweet us your ideas for our next digital dinner. Who do you want to hear from? 
and what do you want to hear about? And to learn more about what we're publishing, check out our site, McKinsey Digital and McKinsey on Marketing and Sales. And please follow us on Twitter as well, where we publish our digital dinner hashtag. Thanks again, and good night. Bye.